Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Who is this guy? Jesus. What a crazy story. Mark chapter 5 and verses 1 through to 20 must be the weirdest story in the Gospel of Mark. First of all, the whole demon thing, we as modern Westerners just don't know how to handle. And then you have those crazy kamikaze pigs. What are we to make of that? But still, this story is a a powerful and a colorful witness to who Jesus really is. But we need to understand the story in the context of the Gospel of Mark and in its own cultural context. And the context is this. God's kingdom, God's salvation, is now breaking into the world through the ministry of Jesus. You see, the world is upside down. It has been ruled by evil powers, by sin and death. But through the ministry of Jesus, through his teaching, through his healing, and supremely through his casting out of these unclean spirits, God is turning this upside down world the right way around. God's kingdom is breaking into the world. Now in Jesus' day, the Jewish people believed that the, the real problem in the world were the Romans. And so they were waiting for God to rescue them by sending the Messiah, the Anointed One, God's chosen and appointed King who was going to rescue them by driving the Roman pigs into the sea and destroying them forever. Then they believed that they, Israel, would experience shalom, peace and harmony. And so they had a few incorrect ideas. For the real problem wasn't the Romans. The Romans were only a symptom of the real problem. The real problem was evil itself. Evil spiritual powers. And Jesus came to destroy not the Romans or any other people, but to destroy evil. To destroy the evil spiritual powers. And Jesus was going to bring liberation not from evil, not only to Israel, but to the whole world, to all nations. Now, in in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, uh, Jesus decides to cross the lake, the, the Sea of Galilee, and to go to the other side. Up until this point, Jesus has only been ministering in and around Galilee. But now he decides to cross over the Sea of Galilee and to go to the region that is known as the, the region of the Gerasians, or the, it's known as the Decapolis, which literally means the ten cities. This was a non-Jewish area. The Jews lived up in the north in Galilee and down in the south in Judea. But Jesus decides to go to a non-Jewish area. 
he decides to go to an area that is notorious for pagan worship. This is the enemy's territory. And as they're crossing over the lake on the boat, you will remember this from two weeks ago, a violent storm arose. And Jesus' disciples were terrified, and Jesus is asleep, so they wake him up and they say, We're all going to die! And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. Quiet! Be still! And immediately everything becomes calm and still. Now the disciples are even more terrified. Who is this guy? Jesus! Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it's then that we read in chapter 5 and verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasians. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. They've just got to shore. They're just about to have a big sigh of relief. When all of a sudden this crazy, wild, demon-possessed man comes charging out of the graveyard straight at them. And we read in verse 3, This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs, and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now we as modern Westerners just don't know how to handle this demon possession thing. I mean, is this some kind of severe mental disorder? Or is this some kind of voodoo thing? And and one of our problems, I believe, is that we are very dualistic in our understanding. We believe it's either a medication and a a mental disorder which can be cured with medication and psychotherapy or it's a spiritual demonic thing that can be uh, healed with uh, religious rituals and prayer. And we're very dualistic in our understanding. I believe we need to be more holistic in how we understand things. We are not just a mind and a body, we also have a spirit and they're all interconnected. Our mind and our body affects our spirit, and our spirit affects our mind and our body. So we need to treat people with medication, and counseling, and prayer. And this guy has a severe case. I mean, he's an extreme example. He is possessed by many impure spirits. In verse 9 we are told that he had many unclean spirits inside him and that they were collectively known as legion. Legion was the biggest unit in the Roman army consisting of 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. This man had many unclean spirits inside of him. And they had robbed him of everything. He had lost his home, his family, his friends. 
He had lost his decency, his dignity. He was running around naked like a wild man amongst the tombs, screaming and terrifying the locals. He had lost his self-control. He was self-harming. He was cutting himself. He had lost his peace and his purpose for living. And what we discover over here is that Satan, the personification of evil, only has one objective. And that's to destroy people's lives. We're not told how he he became possessed by all these unclean spirits. Perhaps it was through habitual sin. Perhaps it was through excessive alcoholic abuse. Perhaps it was through the cultic pagan worship that was rife in that area. We're not told, but he is a severe case, an extreme example. The locals believe he's an impossible case. He's a hopeless, helpless scenario. There's nothing more they can do to help, so as the last resort, they've isolated him and they've tried to bind him with chains. But even that failed. He just merely broke the chains with his demonic strength. He was like a wild storm that no one could tame and everyone was afraid of. You see, sometimes even with all our marvelous scientific advances, medication and information can't help the person. We need something more. And this wild storm of a man comes charging out of the graveyard straight to Jesus and their disciples. Imagine if you were one of the disciples and you suddenly see this wild, crazy, demon-possessed man charging out of the graveyard straight at you. How do you feel? Are your feet still in your sandals? But there's no conflict. There's no battle. He merely comes and falls down in front of Jesus in surrender. And he shouts out at the top of his voice in verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, I've got to be honest, I I don't always understand the demon's tactics over here and the rest of the Gospel of Mark. I mean, underlings of supreme evil or not, they seem pretty stupid to me. I mean, soon as they pick Jesus up on the visual, they start running off at the mouth. Surely it would be better not to draw attention to yourself. Jesus, what do you want to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Talk about asking for trouble. And what's worse is they always seem to tell the truth. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I mean, when did Satan and his underlings come up with that game plan? It seems as soon as they see Jesus, they hit the panic button and go into some kind of true serum mode. What's really interesting is when Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples are left wondering, who is this guy, Jesus? The answer is not given in Mark's gospel until now, when a demon-possessed man immediately and rightly identifies Jesus, gives his true identity. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. God is a chosen and pointed king to turn this upside-down world 
the right way up. No wonder the unclean spirits merely fall down in surrender before Jesus. And they say at the end of verse 7, in God's name. Isn't that ironic? They beg Jesus in the name of of God. In in Jesus' Father's name. In God's name. Don't torture me. And in verse 10 we read, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. To be sent out of the area is to be banished. It was to be destroyed. The unclean spirits clearly know that Jesus has come to destroy them. And that ultimately their fate is to be destroyed. They will be destroyed. And so they are merely begging Jesus not to destroy them now, but rather, as we read in verse 12, they beg Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And bizarrely, Jesus agrees to their request. And all the pigs, all 2,000, that's an extraordinary large herd for that day. All the pigs do the kamikaze routine. And these demons, these unclean spirits who were trying to avoid to, uh, destruction, end up destroyed. Now, is it the, the pigs that decided to kill themselves in order to destroy the unclean spirits? Or is it the unclean spirits' only purpose to bring death and destruction to whatever they can? Or is it both? Remember the man used to self-harm, he used to cut himself. So it's highly likely that it was the unclean spirit's only purpose to bring death and destruction to the man and to the pigs. But equally, both the man and the pigs were probably trying to kill and destroy the unclean spirits inside of them. Nevertheless, The pigs doing the kamikaze routine dramatically and visually illustrates the destructive purpose of the unclean spirits. And it's also a a dramatic visual representation for all to see that Jesus has cleansed the area. That Jesus has driven these unclean spirits We need to appreciate that from a Jewish perspective, this story reeks of uncleansiness. It starts off in a non-Jewish territory. That's a bad place to start. The guy's a non-Jew, so he's already considered unclean. He lives among the tomb, among the unclean dead. He is surrounded by unclean pigs. He is full of many unclean spirits. Just add anchovies to get a truly disgusting scenario. You see, from a Jewish perspective, you simply could not get anyone more unclean than this guy. Yet Jesus goes to an unclean country and to an unclean man, and he brings healing and cleansing. 
And what we discover over here is that Jesus has come to bring healing and cleansing to all nations and to all people. We then read in verse 14, Those attending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. There is a complete transformation in this guy. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, he's dressed, and he's in a sound mind. He is sane. It's almost as if there's a peace and a calm that you experience after a storm. And he must become completely unrecognizable. I could imagine the people from the town just simply not recognizing him. Where's this demonized guy? Right there. What him? The last time I saw him, he was a wild, naked, crazy man running around the tomb scaring everyone. What's he doing? He's at Bible college. He's sitting there taking notes. You see, when you meet Jesus, there is a radical and a complete change and transformation in your life. And even the most helpless and hopeless of scenarios and people can be healed and cleansed and forgiven and changed. Now you would expect everyone to be in awe and overjoyed that Jesus has come to their shores. You would expect them to be amazed at this guy who is able to heal the most impossible and hopeless case is here. This guy who has authority to send out and has authority over all these unclean spirits. You think they would be overjoyed? Or at least they would be overjoyed to see this guy who was previously possessed by these unclean spirits sitting there saying, Cleansed, restored. But rather we read the end of verse 15. They were afraid. And then we read in verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Rather than being filled with awe and overjoy, they are afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave. Why were they afraid? They're probably intimidated and threatened by the power and authority that Jesus had. They weren't able to understand it. They weren't able to control it. And so they were afraid. They probably realized that Jesus was going to bring about some drastic changes to their life. He was going to upset the status quo. And that made them feel uncomfortable. They were probably more concerned about their financial loss, about the loss of the pigs, than they were about a person being healed and restored and changed. So they asked Jesus to leave. And many people today are afraid to ask Jesus to come into their life because they know He will make some drastic changes to their life. 
and it makes them uncomfortable, they'll be losing control, and it will be costly. So even though it will lead to people's lives being changed, their own and other people's life, because it's uncomfortable, because it's costly, they ask Jesus to leave. And the saddest thing that we discover in this story is Jesus grants them their request and he leaves. There's no biblical record of Jesus ever going back to that region. However, Jesus doesn't leave them without a witness and we read in verse 18, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home. To your own people, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. At the beginning of the story, this man doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. He wants Jesus to leave him alone. Now he doesn't want Jesus to leave him. I can just imagine the scene. He's, please, Jesus, can I go with you? These people know me. They know the worst about me. Please, can I go with you to where people don't know about me, and they don't know about my past, where we don't have to talk about my past because it's shameful and embarrassing? Jesus says, no. I want you to go home to your own people. And tell them what the Lord has done for you. You see, this guy's life was a powerful witness and a testimony to who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. He was the first missionary to the non-Jews. And when people saw his change, the change in his life, and when people heard what Jesus had done for him, they were filled with amazement. They would be wondering, who is this guy, Jesus, who has authority over all unclean spirits? Who has authority to bring healing and restoration and forgiveness to even the most helpless and hopeless of cases? And we all have a story to share. We all have to share what the Lord has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. Now, it won't be as extreme as this guy, but we all have a story to share. So what do we learn from this story today? Well, firstly, we all need to acknowledge that we are involved in a spiritual battle. We are all, to some degree, held captive by spiritual powers. You see, this guy was an extreme example, but everyone in the town was also held captive. They were held captive to bad habits, captive to destructive attitudes, captive to many and various addictions, captive to the fear of death, perhaps even captive to the idea that there is no spiritual reality, that we are completely free to do what we want, that we don't need a Savior. But we all need Jesus to come to our shores and set us free. 
Secondly, how are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you going to respond like the folk from town who were afraid? Afraid because they don't know where Jesus is going to lead them? Afraid because you have to give up your comfort? You'll have to give up your control? Afraid because it will be costly? Or are you going to be like that guy who clings on to Jesus and says, don't leave me, I need you, I need you to forgive me and cleanse me and help me? How are you going to respond to Jesus? Thirdly, we all need to go and share what the Lord has done for us. Our story won't be as extreme as this, guys, but we've all got a story. And we need to go and share it with our family, our friends, and those who know us. And the change that happens in our life will be the most powerful witness. So let's not stay in our holy huddles, but let's go out and share what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Fathers, we confess that so often we try to live in the ignorance. We try to just ignore the reality of spiritual battles. Sometimes we pretend that we're not held captive to anything. But yet, Father, as we examine ourselves, we realize that we too are often captive to bad behavior, captive to bad thoughts and attitudes that we just don't seem to be able to break free from. Captive to destructive habits. Jesus, won't you come to our shore? Won't you walk up to us and as we are crying out, Jesus, what do you want with me? Won't you come and set us free? Father, like that song We want to declare our chains have fallen off, that we rose, we went forth and followed you. Let us have that experience anew. Maybe just spend a few moments just reflecting in the quietness of your heart in areas where perhaps you are in captive. And just ask Jesus to come and break those chains and set you free. Father, sometimes we uh, confess that we, we declare with our lips that you are Lord of our life. But yet there are areas in our life where we, we don't want you to come into. Father, we are afraid often because you will upset our life, our status quo. We are afraid that we might lose some of our comfort. We are afraid that if we truly get up and follow you to whatever you call us to do, that it will be costly that there will be some radical changes. And so we are afraid. Father, won't you deliver us from fear? Won't you give us a spirit of boldness and courage to follow you? Won't you help us to be that guy who clings on to you and says, Jesus, I need you. Don't leave me. Heal me. Forgive me. Help me to be the person you've created me to be. And then, Father, help us to go and share Share what the Lord has done for us. Share what Jesus has done for us.
Maybe in the quietness of your heart, you just want to declare to God afresh that you want to follow Him. That you know it might be costly, that you know it might be uncomfortable, that you know you, you won't be in control, but you want to declare afresh that you want to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, and we thank you that when we do decide that and we, dis- and we make that, that stand to follow, we thank you that you promise us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but that you give us your Holy Spirit to be with us always. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall afresh upon us now, that you would empower us and strengthen us to have that courage to follow you and to share all the good news about what the Lord has done for us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.